0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good morning to a full 10 o'clock house this morning. It's good to see all of you and a little early uh, Merry Christmas to, to each of you and to your family as, as well. Also know we have quite a few people Uh, in the lobby, so we we know that you're out there and we miss you in here, but it's probably a lot cooler out there in the lobby. It's getting a little warm in here already this morning. Uh, We started a series a few weeks ago called Christ Has Come. And Christ has come and he has come to dwell with us. He has entered into the stream of humanity that we might know him, that he might understand us, that he might sympathize with our weaknesses. And we need to marvel at this I mean, every year of course around this time of year yes but this is something we need to marvel at every day that that christ has has come not just how he came but that christ came at all is is worthy of of marvel and of wonder and of and of worship so over the course of of, of five weeks we were seeing five implications uh, of this truth that if christ has come what does that mean for us what is the impact for our lives, what is the impact for our families, for, for, for our eternity? And we've seen some things. Let's see, the last four weeks were, first of all, there is now a new way to relate to God. Because Christ has come, we can now relate to God in a, in a new way, in a different way. Before Christ, we could know of God, but now we can know God. We, we can relate to God now in confidence, not in fear. We can walk closely with God now and not at a distance like it was before Christ came. Secondly, we saw that light has now entered into the darkness of our world. I am not parenthetically say there not only the darkness of our world, but the darkness of our hearts as well. Jesus, the light of the world, has entered into the things that were so, so dark and we can now see and we can now understand and, and truth is now clear because the light of the world has come. We can now push back darkness because Christ has come into the world. Thirdly, we saw last week that mercy is now available for those who need it. And we can just all agree in this room, we all need it. We all need the mercy of God because Christ has come. Mercy is now Available Today, we're going to look at this fourth fourth thing. The next week on Christmas, we'll look at the fifth. But today is simply this eternal life with God is now offered on the basis of grace. Because Christ has come into the world, life that will not end, everlasting life is now available, is now offered, but, but on the basis of the grace of of God, because Christ has come, there's now an offer made to everyone in this house. There's an invitation made to everyone here and everyone watching online today to have life forever because of a love based gift, a grace based gift found in Jesus and in Jesus only. You see, be, before Christ came, uh, to, to walk closely with God, to be near God, even an offer of life with God was based on your ability. Your ability to obey, your ability to, to keep every law, all the laws, all the time. It was based on on your ability to be perfect. But now Christ has come, and there's an offer of life with God that's not based on your ability, but Jesus' ability to obey, his ability to be perfect, his ability to keep each law, all the laws all the time, and so this eternal life is offered to us now is not based on our performance, but based upon the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. So let's go to another interesting Christmas passage together today. Let's go to the Gospel of John, and let's go to the third chapter together. John chapter three. If you've been at a football game recently and looked at the end zone, this may be a no surprise sermon to you. John chapter three. Uh, Jesus knew John, as you, as you turn there, this is the fourth gospel, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this, this gospel writer knew Jesus, and this book is an eyewitness account of all that John saw in the life and in the story, uh, the, the, the history of Jesus. In fact, at the very end of John, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 21, John writes, I saw these things, I, I write these things, and these things are true, Let's pick it up in the third chapter of John. John chapter three. Let's pick it up in verse, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. John 3, 14. Let's read all the passages and we'll go back and, and, and grow together in our faith. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Go back to verse 14 and verse 15 again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus here in verse 14 is gonna reach back into the Old Testament book of Numbers. uh, Numbers chapter 21, to be specific with you. It's the story of uh, of the Israelites. They're there on on the precipice of the promised land, about to enter in. And and the Israelites were doing a few things. First of all, they were complaining. I know that's a huge shocker to all of us here today. The Israelites were were grumbling there. They were complaining. Uh, They were doubting the goodness of God. They were wishing they could go back to Egypt and and be slaves again. They were disbelieving God at at his word. In fact, they were kind of in full steam ahead sin at this point. And so God sends snakes. And, and, And snakes begin to bite The Israelites, and many of the Israelites are dying now because these were venomous snakes. And so Moses prays to God and says, God, would you would you save us? Would you rescue us from our from our stiff stiff stiff-necked nature? And so God tells Moses, I want you to make a bronze snake, and I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to lift that pole up and, and call the Israelites to to look up at that at that bronze serpent. And in doing so, they they will live. Simply by looking up in belief, it would bring the Israelites to safety. It would bring the Israelites to to life. And so Jesus says right here, it's the same with me. Look at me and believe. Look at me. I I can bring you safety. I can bring you life, and I will. Verse 16, very familiar to probably all of us in this house today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John three sixteen declares God loves us without question. And this goes against some prevailing notions of who God is today in, in, in our nation. Many people in our nation have, have differing opinions on, on who God is. Many people think that, that God is angry, that he's, he's a tyrant. Others in our nation today view God as, as indifferent as he They see him as a a God who does not care, who does not see, or who is not involved, or who cannot care about the world or anyone in it. Other people view God as as temperamental, that somehow we have to win his love or earn his his favor. But John 3.16 stands against all those misinterpretations of God's attitude toward us and declares that God loves us. That God, he personifies love. In fact, if it has anything to do with God, it has to do with love. When you think about it, and you see this on the screen, mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserving love. Peace is God's comforting love. Adoption, being brought into his family, is God's choosing love. Providence is, is God's caring love. Blessings, Are God's nurturing nurturing love toward us? Jesus' death and resurrection are God's resounding love throughout all of the generations. Heaven is God's rewarding love and eternity is God's unending love. You see that the full universal scope of God's expressed character is love. It is who he is. It is how he expresses himself to everyone in this house today. He loves us. And verse 16 is so clear. God so loved the world. You see, the Old Testament is, is direct so many times that God loves Israel. In fact, it makes this point so regularly and sometimes so dramatically that one might misread it to, to, to mean that God only loves Israel. That's how Israel itself read the Old Testament. So this statement here in verse 16 must have blown Nicodemus away. This is who Jesus is talking to. In fact, you see back in John chapter three, verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And so he has come to, to Jesus to investigate a little bit more who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. And so the very fact that, that Jesus would look to a ruler of the Jews and say God loves the world must have been mind-blowing to him. Because it, it claims that God loves not just a certain group or a certain race or a certain nation, but God loves the world. What a radical truth that must have been to, to a Jewish leader like Nicodemus. And God does love the world. Uh, if you look around the Life Center today, you see 46 flags. Those 46 flags represent the 46 nationalities in our church family. We do it, yes, because it's very interesting to see all the flags. But, but more than that, it's a visual reminder that God loves the world. And every time we walk into here, a reminder that God loves the nations. He loves all ethnicities. He loves all tribes. He loves all skin colors. He loves all languages. He loves people groups. God loves the world. It's amazing to me that God would, would bring the world to Waco. And then we receive 46 nationalities into our membership here at Highland. Chapter three, verse, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So here's the purpose of Christmas. Jesus did not come to condemn us, though we deserve the condemnation. He came that through him, through Jesus, we might be rescued, we might live forever, we might have this everlasting life, that we might come to God. But this isn't some cheap grace. This isn't some, in the end, love wins Nor is this universal salvation for all the world. How do we know that? The next verse. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Do you see this? You've got to see this. There's an option here. Believe on Jesus and be saved and live forever or do not believe in the name of the only Son of God and be condemned forever. Jesus leaves us with two options. And this isn't polling really well in our nation right now because we're a pluralistic society. We are an entitled society. We're an arrogant society. And Jesus' words come to us right here. They're in stark contrast to a nation that likes her multiple options. And Jesus gives us two, believe, on Jesus and live forever, or do not believe on Jesus and be condemned forever. Life that lasts forever for people in this room is at stake. And it's not just heaven. It is, but it's more than that. It's not less than heaven, but it's more than heaven. It is eternity with God. Uh, for you note takers, you might want to write this down. Eternal life isn't just unending life. It's life with the unending God. That's where we're headed. I mean, heaven sounds amazing to me. I mean, heaven's going to be phenomenal. The, the, the beauty of heaven, the peace of heaven, the rest of heaven, the music of heaven, the angels of heaven, the reunion of heaven. But the centerpiece of heaven is not you and I getting there. The centerpiece of heaven is the glory of God, a God with unending glory. And so heaven is not just about this unending life. Eternal life is not just about a life that does not end. It's about life forever with an unending God. It is about relationship with him. This is why salvation does not begin when you enter heaven. Salvation begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. Uh, this, Jesus said this in John chapter 17. This is eternal life, that you may know me, the one true God, the son that you have have sent so heaven is about everlasting life everlasting life begins the moment you're saved by Jesus so let's just look at this passage I'm gonna give you four things today I wasn't gonna give you three but I thought I'd give you a Christmas present and make it four so here here it is the scope of God's love let's see the scope of God's love today firstly God's love is astounding because he doesn't need to love us I mean, God's love should just kind of stop us in our tracks because he doesn't need to love us. There's nothing forcing God to to love us. There's nothing that requires him to love us. In fact, when you see the condition of our world, and I may add the condition of our hearts because of the holiness of God, there's probably more that requires him not to love us. In himself, God has no need to love us because he is already perfectly satisfied in the Son, Jesus we see that later on in John three thirty-five, The son is already perfectly delighting in, in the father. We see that later on in John chapter 14. And yet in his goodness, God chooses to love us. He doesn't need to. He chooses to do so. That is what's so astounding about his love. He does not need to love us, but in his kindness, in his grace, in his goodness toward everyone in this room, he has chosen to love us. Here's the second thing we see about the scope of God's love God's love is shocking because we don't deserve his love. That, that passage that says, for God so loved the world, that God loves the world is remarkable, not only in the terms of, of how big the world is, but how bad the world is. I mean, look around. There's abuse. There's, there's killing of innocent lives. There's killing of preborn lives. There's oppression. There's, there's racism. There's stealing. There's robbery. There's lies. God sees all of this in the world, and yet he declares, I love the people of the world. There are people who love you and who respect you. I know this is true. But if those same people who loved you and respected you knew everything about you, everything about you, would they still love you? Would they still respect you? See, God knows everything about you there is to know. And hear this, yet he still loves you anyway. This is the true basis, really, of, of our value as, as, as people. Here's what Martin Luther said God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. It's the basis of our value as, as humanity. God doesn't love us because, as we said last week, he sees something beautiful about us. Just the opposite. We are value, valuable because God does love us. Here's the third thing I want you to see in the scope of God's, of God's love. Thirdly, God's love is extraordinary because he gives his only son. We know God's love is unmatched because he gave his one and only son. The, the text here does not simply say, John 3, 16, I know we've read it so many times. You've written it down so many times. You've sung about it so many times. You've quoted it so many times. I know it's kind of easy sometimes just to let that verse rattle off our tongue, but, but let this go deep into your heart. The text does not simply say that God loved the world. It says that God so loved the world, and that little word right there so here, here's your here's your Greek word for today because I know you love your Greek words the the Greek word is is Huto or, or hutos but Huto right here Huto it means really in this manner in other words, our translations even the way that we memorize for God so loved the world it, it, we've kind of obscured obscured this term because we think it means God loved the world so much, but literally it means this is how God loved us. This is how God loved the world. Not how much God loves us, but how does God love us? So the text actually would say this, in this manner, God loved the world, or this is how God loved the world. So John three sixteen. this may be mind-blowing to some of you, isn't just God saying, I love you. It is also saying, here is how I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So John three sixteen does not teach that God loves us so much that He would do anything for us. Rather, it teaches us that God loves us so much He did something specific for us. He gave. You see, you cannot know the love of God without embracing it in terms of the gift that He gave to communicate that love to us. Uh, this week is Christmas wrapping week. Um, some of y'all haven't even thought about it until I said that just then. And our offices will be open until Wednesday afternoon if you need to drop your gift off for me. I'll be here till noon on, on, on Wednesday. But you know, it, it's bad manners to, to give someone a gift and, and leave the price tag on it. But that's exactly what God did when he gave us his son. God wanted everyone in this house to understand what it cost him to purchase Our salvation. So he left the price tag on the gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's the price tag. He gave his one and only. That, That phrase is used five more times just in the Gospel of John. One and only. And every time it always references Jesus. Because you see Jesus as the one and only. He's the unique one. He is the one and only. He is the one of a kind. In other words, there's, there's no one like Jesus. No one was born like Jesus. No one lived like Jesus. No one died like Jesus. No one got up on the third day like Jesus. No one is coming again like Jesus. Jesus is God's only son. And so when John 3, 16 says that God loved us by giving his only son, it is telling us that Jesus is what God sent when he wanted to show you the full extent of his love, he sent the very best. How did God say, I love you? He gave his one and only. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see God's love is unmatched because he gives this son as our substitute. When God sent his one and only, the, the treasure of heaven, the unique son of God, he, he gave this son to be a substitute. So, in other words, God, God's love is not sentimental, it's sacrificial. It's not some soft, mushy, goosebump seventh grade, my apologies to the seventh grader, seventh grade love or emotion that God has for you. It's this proven fiery, demonstrative love that is most clearly seen when you and I look up at the cross where this baby boy born at Christmas would be hung on a tree in a bloody mess to loudly declare to everyone here today, I love you. You can be forgiven. My grace is enough and you can live forever because Christ would die in our place. You see, Jesus was born once so that we could be born twice. Jesus came into the world to be a sacrifice. By his creativity, all of us in this place was, we were born once. But by his grace, we can be born again. This is the exact conversation that's happening between Jesus and Nicodemus. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to live forever? And Jesus is saying, by by my grace, you can live forever. By my grace, you can be born again. You see, that baby in the manger is more than just a symbol of love. We've reduced him in our country to just a symbol of love. In fact, just the opposite. He's the Savior who is love. And who has come to lay down his life as the redeeming sacrifice. That baby born would be the Christ crucified that crying baby would one day cry out, it is finished. Those little arms, those little hands of that baby born in the manger would one day wrestle with death itself and would win. If all we celebrate of Christ is his birth, but not his death and his resurrection, his ascension, his his soon return, we have an incomplete gospel. Because this Jesus is the king who was born to die. And we remember that together today. If you would, would you take your communion, pack it out? And if you would, pull back the tab where the bread is found. For all the believers who are here today, would you take that bread and just hold it in your hand? Would you bow your head and would you bow your heart with me? Jesus, we remember today the purpose of of your coming, the purpose of your arrival You are not just a symbol of love. Jesus, you are love, and that love is proven and demonstrated by the cross on which you would hang. Those who believe upon the name of the one and only Son, Jesus Christ have life and life forever but those who do not believe upon the name of the one and only son Jesus Christ will be condemned and condemned forever and all of us would have been condemned Jesus if you by your own authority had not laid your life down for us so today we remember this sacrifice together daughters of God sons of God would you eat this bread with me please you'd carefully pull back the tab of the cup. Believers, if you'd hold this cup, please, in your hand, and if you wouldn't mind, again, bowing your head, bowing your heart with me. Jesus on this week before we celebrate your birth, your entrance into humanity, we hold this cup and we remember once again the cost of our salvation, that God, when you sent your one and only, you left the price tag on so that we might know how much this would cost you and how dearly we're loved. This baby was born a king, a king who would die, so that we could be born again and we could live forever. The spilling of his blood on the cross purchased for us eternal life because of forgiveness of sins. So daughters of God, sons of God, let's drink together in remembrance of Christ.